It's the Away Days Pod. Welcome back. As always, this is Nate Lay joining me via FaceTime. Mr. Land, we got a lot of college football to get to with a disappointing result from your Auburn Tigers, which we have not talked about at all off pod or even through text because you went radio silent after I sent a text at some point in the first half saying like, wow, Auburn's just such a different team at home. <laughs> and then and uh, after that, didn't hear much from you. But I want to get a little bit of soccer out of the way before we just go headlong into college football in the NFL, because not a ton of soccer news going on in the international break. Um, but I did want to talk a little bit of USA. Mentioned it right before we hopped on the pod. Dos Acero taking down Mexico again. World Cup qualifiers are in full swing. Um, while Europe's are actually winding down a bit, uh, CONCACAF still, I think still several games left to go for us. But yeah, United States taking the top spot, at least for now, in the CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers with 14 points, tied on points now with Mexico, who they just beat 2-0. Lay, I know we talked a little bit of World Cup qualifiers, you know, gosh, it feels like a, like a month ago, maybe. I don't know how long we've been doing this pod. I think it's like episode 9 or 10 or something. Um, but one of the early pods talked about the United States' disappointing start to World Cup qualifying, but... They've been getting it done as of late, winning four out of their last five, including a big one against our travels Mexico, which was played in Cincinnati. I don't know if if I was the United States, you know, governing soccer body, if I'd have picked of all places to play a game against Mexico to play it in Cincinnati, but you know, to each their own. So, but yeah, what? Uh, how impressed were you with with the stars and stripes and getting a big win? I'm not. Yeah, I know we're both not the biggest diehard United States soccer fans internationally, anyway. But it's always good to beat to beat those guys down south. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. That's that's the main thing I take from this. I, we mentioned earlier off the pod that this is the third time in a row or the third game in a row this summer since this summer that we've beaten Mexico. So that was something to really look for. Uh, or I think that you can look forward to when you talk about this kind of matchup. Um, did you see uh, the whole thing with like Pulisic? And I think it, it was Ochoa that made that that mirror comment. I'm not sure exactly how it went. Yeah, I did. I did see that. Um, so for those of you unaware, um, Guillermo Ochoa, Memo Ochoa, Mexico's goalkeeper, um, kind of most famous for really being good in like the 2014 World Cup, but since then hasn't done like anything that I'm aware yeah. of. But I guess they don't, I guess they don't really have a better goalkeeper than him anyway. Um, but yeah, he had a comment at some point. You know, I don't know when he made the comment, but it was kind of circulating before the game about um, Mexico is the mirror in which the United States like judges itself, basically, like you know basically saying oh like usa they're they're just constantly like our little brother trying to compare themselves to us like they're they know they're good if they can beat us basically is what you're saying and so um kristen pulisic in the 74th minute gets the first goal for usa and lifts up his shirt and it says uh man in the mirror on the uh, on his on his undershirt which is pretty funny Um, michael jackson reference shout out so r.i.p but uh but yeah i thought that was pretty cool yeah it was cool but here we are kind of really following what he says and once again comparing ourselves against Mexico but it's not like I mean he's not wrong right no no, he's not he's not but it's also like we don't have much of an opportunity to play anybody else other than like who's immediately around us so I mean we, we really can't figure anything out until we make the World Cup if that happens yeah I mean we're not exactly we don't really know what we've got if we beat Canada or Honduras, you know, not that we even do that all the time anyway. <laughs> right. So, um, but Honduras has kind of had our number, I think the past couple yeah. of times. So we'll yeah. see how we go. Don't but... want to go down to the friendly confines of, uh, 
I was trying to think if I knew any Honduras city off the top of my head from taking Spanish class. It's uh, just not there. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have one. But, but yeah, I mean, at least Mexico f- for now is at least the, the only other team that consistently makes World Cups. You know, I say we consistently makes World Cups. They make the last one. But, you know, they've been, at least over the last four years, the best team from our region. I mean, they qualified for the last World Cup. Um, you know, I think they got out of the group as well. Um, so Mexico is like, they have a solid team. And so obviously we're going to compare ourselves to them, but a big, big win for the boys in red, white, and blue. Um, like I said, Christian Pulisic getting the first goal. Then who was it? Was it Weston McKinney? I think getting yeah. the second, um, ending up in a two, two nil win late red card for miles Robinson in the 89th minute, but didn't really matter. Um, game was well and truly over by that point. So quick update on those standings. Again, I said, uh, <clears throat> USA, Mexico, <clears throat> excuse me, tied at the top with 14 points through seven matches played. Um, in third is Canada, fourth Panama down with 11. Canada has 13. But I think if I remember correctly, top three automatically go through, and then there's some sort of playoff scenario um, for the fourth spot um, that I guess involves probably four, five, and six, but I'm not exactly sure. But I think you know, as long as the USA can stay safely within really the top two but i think even the top three um they can be assured of a spot in the world cup finals but again seven matches played and there's eight teams in the group they play everybody twice so you know we're really not even yeah i mean we're just about halfway through the world cup qualifying process right now so still a long way to go and things still really tight um at the top with only three points separating first and fourth so Long way to go for USA, but that was a big win, especially since they'll only play Mexico one more time. Um, that that really puts a big emphasis on that rematch for Mexico if they want to make sure they get out of the group. Oh, yeah, and I know this is just kind of looking on down the road. Uh, I'll be excited to see if a potential U.S.-Canada matchup because I know we've kind of talked about, and not the pod a little bit, the growth of U.S. soccer, but you look at Canada and they're playing light years better than they have in the past six, seven years. So, a lot of growth in North America and beyond, so it'll be interesting to see if those two guys can match up and see what that game looks like. Yep. And now I'll talk a little bit about UEFA World Cup qualifying, which I haven't actually watched any of, but is typically a lot more exciting than CONCACAF because you get a lot of these better teams playing against each other in a real fight. Like some good teams don't make it out of these groups. Um, and you looked at last night, I think it was, um, or yesterday afternoon here on the uh, – you know, in the western part of the world, but Portugal needing a draw to to win their group against Serbia, but the Serbians getting a 90th minute winner to take down Portugal to finish top of Group A. Um, the way these qualifi- qualifiers work is obviously top team automatically goes through, so big win for them. I don't think they were a team that you know, a ton of people expected necessarily to win that group, and certainly not with Portugal in it. But Serbians punch their ticket automatically to the next world cup and then so this one this is here where it gets complicated so europe does half the groups i think roughly half of the groups only have five teams and the others have six and the way it was decided kind of who was going to be in the fives versus the sixes was ranked in order of how they finished in the uefa nations league previously so like the big favorites won the right to be in the smaller groups basically so that was portugal um spain in group b switzerland and italy in Group C, um, France in Group D, 
Belgium in Group E, and then the rest of them have six teams. Um, but, I mean, you're talking about, like, the bottom of these six-teamers being, like, Gibraltar and Malta and you know, <laughs> San Marino, a bunch of teams that, you know, in theory, adding that extra team shouldn't really hinder the top, the big teams too much. Like, England is in that group of six. San Marino's at the bottom of that. San Marino has played 10 matches, lost all 10, only scored one goal, and conceded 46. So, you know, not exactly feeling the the extra labor of having to beat that 16. But, so there's, I mentioned it off the top, UEFA's like almost done with qualifying. I look here, I think one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's only seven matches like total um, for all the teams left. Um, so I think that's like one, two, yeah, only only two groups I think haven't completely wrapped up. Um, so a quick, 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 excuse me, rundown: Serbia first in Group A, Spain one Group B rather comfortably. They'll be in Switzerland actually winning Group C with Italy in second. Um, group D, France handling that as you might have expected. I think they are one of the. T- this is one of the groups that still has one left to play though, but they've still locked up uh, first in that group with Finland behind them uh, by more than three points. Then Group E, Belgium. I think they have a match left, but they've they've won all but one match. They're going through. Denmark and Group F is done. They won that group. Scotland. I was really hoping, uh, and they'll have a chance in the playoff being a second place team, but. Um, Unable to win that group, falling four points behind Denmark. The Netherlands, another leader. Croatia, Russia, one point behind them. They'll qualify for the playoff. Then England winning their group. And Germany, unsurprisingly, in the easiest group by far. Yeah. Second in that, uh, nine points behind them, North Macedonia. <laughs> um, so, But yeah, if I recall correctly from the lengthy article I read about how the qualification process works in Europe, all of those first-place winners are automatically through. And then I think either two or three spots are awarded through a playoff of the second place team. So as of now, you know, a list of these, I'll list off these teams and only, you know, I think only two or three of them can make it. We got Portugal, Sweden, Italy, Finland, Wales, Scotland, Turkey, Russia, Poland, and North Macedonia. Three of those, um, I believe it's three, only three of them can go through. So you know, work cut out for for a team like Portugal and and even you know even Italy, who coming off a Euro a Euros win this summer, would not have expected them to be down there. And Sweden is a team that's consistently um, in the World Cup qualifiers. I guess, Lathe, are any of these names surprise you that they're having a fight for the ballot? Because I know, I mean, we can remember the Netherlands not qualifying for the last World Cups. Like it isn't unheard of for something like this to happen. Yeah, I was going to say about Italy, that was probably the one that surprised me the most because obviously you mentioned the uh, the victory this summer, but then also I think they went eight or nine straight games, so they didn't even concede a goal uh, during that period. So just playing really well, and then to see them kind of come in here and kind of limp through the group stages is a really surprising thing. Yeah, they're – I mean – I don't know if the UEFA or if the Euros hangover is, is a thing that exists. <laughs> I don't really know, but uh, they're going to be in a battle. And I think, did they also miss – they might have missed the 2018 World Cup too. They did. I think it was. It was Netherlands and Italy, both, who did not qualify for that one. So uh will be a big letdown for the Azuri, as they call themselves, if they're if they're not able to, to get in there. But – Again, last week, uh, classic uh, me. Then again, can kind of blame Lath here too for not fact checking me here. We made some picks on some soccer matches that you know are still left to be played because we thought they were going to be played you know this past week and they weren't. 
Um, but those picks are still valid. We will hold ourselves to them. Just a quick reminder um, as we go into next week that we're not making new picks, but we still have these. Uh, the games we were looking at were, if I can find them here, Arsenal at Liverpool. Uh, you and I both have Liverpool getting a win there. I'll give you a chance to change your mind here, Lay. I know you want to pick the Gunners to win, but last chance to win here if you want to if you want to be on the right side of history here. Nah, I'm going to stick with my word as much as you'd hate that. <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm picking Liverpool too, so yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe that'll give Arsenal the the boost. But next, Napoli at Inter matchup in Serie A. I like a draw for no other reason than Inter really loves a draw. So Lay has Napoli two one. And then lastly, our first trip to League One that isn't PSG, Marseille at Lyon. I really have no idea what to make of this because I know nothing about either team, so I'm going with a draw just because. And Lay likes 2-1 to Lyon. Give me one reason, Leith, why you like Lyon to win. Uh, just because I feel like they've been more relevant in recent, recent years than Marseille, and that's literally the only thing I have backing that up. So that's what I'm going with. Let's have a look at the League One table and see... <laughs> Where uh, where Lyon and Marseille are. So you think you say Lyon has been much more relevant? He says. Yeah, I mean, you know, Depay was there last year, and they were a decent team. I think they made they made the um, two years ago when Bayern won the um, Champions League. They were in that semifinal, if I if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So I think they're a yeah, team that has are. a lot of talent still. Yeah, Alwar's beast. Uh, not at Arsenal, which is kind of sucks. But we got Emil Smith right now, so it doesn't really matter. But. Yeah, Marseille is fourth in the league currently, Lyon in seventh, but only four points behind them. So, big, massive matchup in the French division. So, uh, But yeah, that's about all we got on tap for the soccer. And with that said, now almost a full, almost a full hour that we've got now to dive into college football and the NFL as I turn the page over on our pre-show doc. I want to start in the big X11 or XII, I guess is the Roman numerals. The Big 12, I guess what will seem to be the SEC. Number eight, Oklahoma falls at Baylor. I know you and I both thought that there was no way Oklahoma gets through this three-game stretch to end the year unscathed. We all thought they would lose a game between at Baylor, home against Iowa State, and at Oklahoma State. Are you surprised the loss came so soon, though, Leif? No, I don't think so because – I mean, Iowa State, obviously, they're up there and potential people to upset uh, Oklahoma, but I wasn't as confident in that one just because they've been spotty. Baylor's been one of those teams that, despite having two losses, they've been consistent every week, and they've been getting better. So I think going in there, and I think this game, this was at Baylor, too. I think looking at that, I'm not too surprised. But that was this was one I was rooting for because I think we both kind of decided before this that Oklahoma uh, was kind of the, the next fraud for us to target. And it was good to see that kind of pan out in our way. Well, what did you make of the decision by Lincoln Riley to to ditch um, Williams and, and bring back old, old reliable, if you can call him <laughs> that, and Spencer Rattler with not much success, it must be said. But, you know, as a team that in Oklahoma that still has, you know, as a one-loss team, still the chance to beat the toughest team on its schedule and go win a conference championship, still with a lot ahead of them, do you agree with potentially crushing the confidence of, of the guy that you've named your starting quarterback for the past few weeks? Or, or what, I'm just curious what you made of that decision to, to, I guess, do whatever you thought you had to do to win this game. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, Lincoln Riley knew they needed a spark. And we've seen how little the, the committee values them and the Big 12 in this. So I think he knew that if he had a, sh- a chance at the playoffs, he needed to go in there undefeated. 
not to say that he's not going to try to win at this point, but I think he has a pretty good idea that the path for them is really slim to none. So trying to shake things up and bring in Spencer Rattler, who uh, I'll give him credit. I, I thought that once they lost this game, we would see his name in the transfer portal like a day or two later, and it hasn't happened yet. So we'll see if he sticks it out. But I, I see what Lincoln Riley is trying to do at this point. But granted, it just didn't work out for him. I don't want to give a guy too much credit for not within 48 hours of losing, putting his name in the transfer portal. Like maybe let's give him some credit if he makes it through the end of the season, but not two days. Oh, and I think if, I mean, end of the season, I think it's a given he's going to be in the portal, but you know, I just had, you had that kind of feeling that he, he kind of had in his hand, Hey, or in his head, they maybe we might make the playoffs. I might as well get a ring, even though I'm not starting. But I think once it becomes kind of clear that they're not going to be in that position, you got to start looking towards your own future at that point. Well, you say they're not going to be in that position, and I'm not saying I disagree, but I want to talk OU and the Big 12 at large in terms of what that loss means for for OU's chance at the playoffs and just the conference in general. I mean, do you see a path remaining for OU at all? I know we're still a day away from the college football playoff rankings coming out again on Tuesday night, and where they, how far they fall will really play a big factor in, in their likelihood of getting back into that top four, but... Just making, just putting the facts out there. They still have Iowa State at home, which Iowa State is unranked still, um, but a team that beat Baylor. Um, and then they travel to the highest ranked, what will be the highest ranked Big 12 team uh, by the time they play, uh, going to Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State. So a chance to win, again, two of the three hardest games on their schedule and then potentially a rematch with Oklahoma State or maybe Iowa State or maybe Baylor um, in the Big 12 championship game, depending on how things shake out. So, you know, should Oklahoma, and I listen, I don't even know that they're going to go beat Iowa State and Oklahoma State to even get to that conference championship game. But I don't know, just you're, you're kind of seems like you're right. No, you off already. Do you really see no chance or is there a way in your mind that they can play their way back into this? Albeit probably with some help ahead of them with teams falling back. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a good question because there are a lot of people in front of them that have tough games coming up that they can lose. But I just think the fact that the committee devalued him already going undefeated and then walking in there with a one loss, I think at this point the committee would put any two-loss team ahead of them. So, and I don't think that there's – they don't have that – yeah, there's some tough games for them to play that could potentially prompt – help them move up the rankings, but they're not playing somebody that I think is going to propel them into the top four. So for that reasons, I – in my opinion, I think that their playoff windows are is closed. Yeah, and elsewhere in that conference, I mean, again, Oklahoma was the bell cow for for the Big Twelve, by far the likeliest team to make it to the playoff, um, being the last undefeated team in what is considered a pretty weak conference. But the stage is now set for OU, or excuse me, Oklahoma State to be perhaps the best chance for a team in that conference to reach the playoff. I mean, going into this week. Oklahoma State was 10th in the playoff rankings, but again, OU ahead of them, losing, dropping back. Um, you know, still both Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State are all still ahead of them. Surely not all three of those teams in the season inside the top seven because, you know, only two of them can make the conference title game. Um, really, I think only one of them can. I don't think, I think the West, or I'm not exactly sure how it works, but I think they all are in the same division. Um, so, Looking at Oklahoma State, who again has that big game with Oklahoma to end the season, what do you think their chances of somehow finding a way into the playoff are as a team that could finish as a one-loss conference champion 
that would probably involve them beating Oklahoma twice for them to do that, once in the regular season and once in the conference championship. Uh, I, they certainly have a better chance than Oklahoma, but, I mean, there's a few things here. One, I think, obviously, Georgia's a lock, I think, from this point. Alabama, I think, is a lock, even if they get beat by Georgia in the SEC championship. And then it's really going to come down to me. If, if SMU can upset Cincinnati, and I think that game's either this week or next, then I would ha- I would feel comfortable about maybe Oklahoma State finding themselves in that fourth spot. But if not, I really think it's just too much ground for them to cover. Because you've also got Notre Dame sitting here, despite the fact that they really don't have anybody else left tough to play, they're in that sixth spot. And you can't really imagine Oklahoma State jumping them. It would take a pretty big win. So I, it, they have better chances than Oklahoma, but it's going to take a couple of upsets. Well, a lot to unpack in there, things that I disagree with as well as your Alabama take, but we'll get to the SEC in a little bit. But a good point about Notre Dame, because here's where I net out on on Oklahoma State's chances in the playoff. Tomorrow night, I think if Notre Dame is still ahead of Oklahoma State in the in the latest playoff rankings, I agree. I think Oklahoma State has no chance, because looking at the way it, it sets out right now, um, I just don't think that, you know, at best, Oklahoma State ends the season again with one loss. And as of right now, Notre Dame with one loss, they're still ranked behind Notre Dame. I just think they have to will have to jump too many people. Um, you know, even yeah. even if they finish with just one loss, I just don't see how they 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 make that jump. Now, I don't know that they're not deserving of it. You know, I think a one loss Big Twelve champ who beat Oklahoma twice, probably back to back. You know, you can write off a one bad game against an Iowa State team on the road um, that they were in that game it was a tight game but the committee just at this point really hasn't respected them again being I mean there is a one loss team in these in these past rankings I mean this is prior I'm looking at you know last Tuesdays prior to to this week's but they had them behind Bama Oregon Ohio State Michigan Michigan State and Notre Dame all one loss teams so they were like the sixth highest rated one loss team you know, I just don't see there being you know, I just don't see enough of those teams losing to let them in, even if they can go undefeated. Yeah, and I mean, look, you got Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State in front of them as well. And those, a lot of them, I mean, Ohio State plays both of those teams. So even if just one of those teams ends up winning out, any any given of those teams that wins out is going to be in front of Oklahoma State at the end of this. Uh, but you bring up a point about, you know, and we'll, we're already kind of really – really into uh, the playoff talk. Um, but I'll put that aside for just a second and just a quick little headline elsewhere in the Big 12. So 1-7 Kansas, don't know if you saw this lathe, but played Oklahoma pretty tough earlier in the year. Oklahoma might consider themselves lucky that this was only their first loss. Kansas had them uh, right where they wanted them down in, uh, is that Manhattan? Or is that, that's where Kansas State is. Uh, where is Kansas? I know Lawrence, I think. I think it's in Lawrence, Kansas. Anyway, one and seven Jayhawks upsetting Texas in Austin as thirty-one point underdogs. So that begs the question. I'm gonna play a little game here with you, Lath, before we go just full on college football conspiracy because <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna take its 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 own amount of time. But real quick, what's your thoughts on a list of names here? So Steve Sarkeesian in his first year as Texas head coach, not off to the start they would have liked. I think now sitting at four and five. Um, excuse me, four and six. So even worse. Um, and But it is his first season. But I want to run a list of names by you here, Leif. Coaches on the hot seat or otherwise, you know, facing potential potential new destinations next season. 
um, and kind of get your thoughts whether they should stay, go, who should make that decision, you know, the college, the school, or or if it's in the best interest of this coach as well to get a move on. But first, Steve Sarkeesian, four and six in his first season. Is it too early for the Longhorns to think about going a different direction? I think it's too early. Generally, for college football, I like to give them at least three or four years before I put them on a hot seat just because that gives them time to really put in their recruiting class of the guys that they feel like are going to fit into the, the culture of the program that they're trying to build. So I think, I mean, so Texas comes off, they fire Pruitt, or no, I'm sorry, not Pruitt. Um, oh, my gosh. What, is, what was the old coach's name? I'm, I mean, I'm drawing a blank. Here. Herman? Herman's <laughs> yeah, Tom, a, Tom a Herman. Back. Yeah. yeah, Tom Herman. Yeah, they fire him. Sark comes in, and, you know, they have a lot of talent there, but it's – the Big 12, it's I mean, there's a high-scoring team. So he's got to kind of implement his system. I think you give him a little bit more time. Yeah, I think one season is a bit too much. But there's a lot of delusional fan bases out there, and, and the people down in Austin you know, fall into that category too. So I'm sure there's a ton of people calling for his head this year oh. um, as well. Next up, Dan Mullen, 34-14 and 14 in four seasons, You know, this being his fourth season at Florida. You know, had a couple of really strong years a few years ago with Kyle Trask at the helm and other NFL guys on that offense. But in their last several games, I mean, this year, talk about, I mean, talk about that Samford game they oh. ran into, giving up 50-something at home to a team that's not even in the FBS, um, trailing by multiple scores at different times um, in that game. Florida, they look like a team that's quit on their coach and on their team I think I know you're a big proponent of Dan Mullen as a guy who you say, how can you not believe in a guy who who made the Mississippi State Bulldogs the number one team in the country a few years ago? But if I'm Florida, I know that you're not probably getting a whole lot else to come take that job. Not that the fans would want, you know, not the caliber of a Dan Mullen. But if the record alone doesn't speak for what needs to change, the attitude of these players, I think, it's just proven that, that he doesn't have control of this team anymore. Yeah, uh, I can see that point, but I'm just so hesitant because of how much production they lost last year. Kyle Trask, a guy gets drafted pretty early. Uh, Kadarius Toney and Kyle Pitts, guys that, I mean, we saw how bad this Florida team looked in the bowl game last year without just two of their stars and still having Trask at the helm playing quarterback. They struggled big time. So I think we're kind of seeing that kind of continued. Um, and, you know, they've already fired the defensive coordinator. So everything's kind of in disarray at the moment. I think I give him one more season, but he's on red alert at the beginning of next year. If he can't get it going after that, then I think he's out of there. But one more season for me. Yeah, well, you look at it, and you know, coming into this season, I think nobody expected him to be what they were last year because you lose the NFL talent on offense that you do, that that they did. I mean, there's just no way to, to instantly recoup that production. But just looking back on – on on Dan Mullen just as a as a career coach even going back to Mississippi State the only teams he's had that were really successful and I def- defining really successful by I mean that Mississippi State team that at one time was ranked number 1 I don't think they even played for the conference championship I think by the time the end of the season came around they had lost a couple games um the best Florida team they've had in several years last year Yes, they played for an SEC championship but got beat by Alabama and actually ended up with four losses in that season. They lost their last three games, um, losing Florida, losing to LSU, excuse me, um, last regular season game of the year, then losing to Alabama in the conference championship game, and then losing in the Cotton Bowl to Oklahoma. So 
what was a great team, and I think everybody would agree was a great team, still ended up with four losses on the season. So, you know, and just looking at, at, at Dan Mullen talking about the, the successful teams that he has had, it's always been with an NFL guy at quarterback. You know, so like he hasn't really shown that he can win with with less than superb players leading his offense. And I mean, again, shown by giving up fifty something to Samford, like he's not making that defense any better too. I think there's some serious questions that that have got to be asked about just how good of a coach he is, and you know, has he just been living off the coattails of of Dak Prescott and now Kyle Trask? Yeah, that's a good point, and you know, he is. Uh, back to the defensive thing he is an offensive guy and he's, they've still been putting up some good points this season it's been inconsistent play at quarterback but the offense hasn't really been that big of a problem minus the Georgia game uh, you know he's a guy I think Todd Grantham was the old defensive coordinator he's never been a guy that I thought too highly of I think he was at Georgia for a while and I don't yeah think he, he was did. I don't think he did too well during his years there either so if they can get a good hire in the mix and kind of get some stuff going I'd be interested to see it but like I said, I think if he can't bring the whole thing together next year, then he's done. Yeah, and I think for at least for now, he's sticking around because they're kind of treat, giving him the Scott Frost treatment, who is actually on this list here. <laughs> but in terms of you know having a bad year, but the 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 powers that be at the university saying, hey, look, we'll keep you around, but we're gonna we're gonna fire your coordinators, we're gonna adjust your contract to where you know. You're not getting paid as much until you make it further along. If that is like you know, if if and when we decide to keep you, um, basically kind of giving him a prove it year next year, which is what Scott Frost has been in this season, um, fifteen and twenty seven record in this now his fourth season um, at Nebraska. I think in a perfect world, Nebraska would let him go if they could, but I just don't see who you're getting that that improves this team markedly I think their best bet is probably just to stick with Frost and see how another couple seasons go with him yeah and another thing that people don't recognize if you just look at the record yeah they've had a bad year but if you go in and look at these games and I watched a few of them there's seven games that they lost by a touchdown or less they were in this Oklahoma game and they were in the Oklahoma or the Ohio State game two I guess relatively good teams with high-powered offenses and they were able to hold them both to 20 points or 20, 25 points. So I think there's a, a lot of winnable games there that it just didn't happen for Frost. He's been a little bit unlucky. But on the flip side of that, he really hasn't been able to recruit. If you look at the kind of guys that he gets, Nebraska is a program that people like or they would like to think of themselves as kind of a top, uh, a top program. But going in and seeing I think there's just three stars, a few four stars in recruiting, they've got to do a little bit better job of that if they want to make anything change in the program while competing. Uh, in the Big Ten as well. So I, I think you're right. I think that there's not really much of an option for that point. And, and I think they probably will keep him. But in most cases, he would be a guy that you would see on the way out. And I think a ton of these fans want him out. Yeah. But if they're honest with themselves, which no real fan base ever is, but if they are <laughs> honest with themselves, you know, the 1980 Horn Cornhuskers are not coming back. Like. No. I think at this point, the best Nebraska fans can hope for is being a team that can maybe challenge to make it to a to a Big Ten uh, title game at some point. But you know, I think they can't ask for much more than than you know losing twenty six seventeen against Ohio State. They were in that game. You know, losing thirty two to twenty nine against Michigan. Like a couple plays go a different way. They beat number eight Michigan in that game. You know, played a close game, went to overtime with Michigan State, who was in the top four for a while against Oklahoma, lost by less than a touchdown, or excuse me, right at a touchdown. So 
you know, when the alternative is like, what? I don't know. Like, what do you want to be, Rutgers, and just get blown out in all those games, you know? So, like, it's just kind of figure out, you know, adjust your expectations a little bit, which they'll never do. And I, you know, if I was a Nebraska fan, I wouldn't either because if you live through those good days, it's hard to 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 admit that they're probably never coming back. But I think Scott Frost at least has the ability to uh, to get them closer, if not all the way there. What they need is lay land in the old uh, dynasty oh, yeah. mode. Uh, where you, you actually do have one with them, right, in the yeah. career mode? Yeah, that's actually my latest endeavor this year is uh, bringing back the Cornhuskers to glory. Uh, first year, 10-2, and two, so I'm already performing a little better than Scott Frost. So if you're out there looking, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, just go ahead and, and sign the 22-year-old kid up to, to manage oh, yeah. your football program. But, um, <laughs> I mean, it worked basically with Sean McVay. I mean, he wasn't he was older than that, but yeah. the young coaches, they can pull it off. Um, and then lastly, this isn't a – I don't think it will get fired, but has been disappointing in the last couple seasons and perhaps uh, greener pastures inviting him. Uh, to step away from Penn State. James Franklin, now in his eighth season, I had no idea it had been that long. It feels like not too long ago he was leading Vanderbilt um, to back-to-back winning seasons, which I don't know when the last time that was. I don't think it's happened since he left, that's for sure. But anyway, James Franklin, 10-9 and nine, uh, this season combined with last year. Again, we're a little over halfway through this season. If you combine that with the abbreviated COVID year last year, He's basically just one game over 500. His Nittany Lions currently unranked, coming off a loss. Um, they've lost to Ohio State and now to Michigan this season. I don't think it's really where Penn State fans want to be, but I think they at least realized it doesn't get a whole lot better than him. I and mean, they've had some 10-plus win seasons with James Franklin um, in his history there. But if you're Franklin sitting there with the USC job open, the LSU job open, I mean, perhaps, who knows, you know, if like if – I mean, who, who can predict? Like Florida maybe comes up, and if they lose to Florida State at the end of the year, where is your head at if you're him and the potential to maybe move on to, to something else? I think the only thing that would be enticing enough for him to leave is if LSU were to present him with the right number because he's in a good situation. You look at Penn State, they're really the only school up there uh, to go to. I mean, when I went and made the trip a few weeks back for the Auburn game, it was just there were so many people at the game. It was kind of like, you know, there were people that didn't even go to the school that were just going because it's the only thing in Pennsylvania. You know, you go to Texas A&M, you got to compete in recruiting with Texas. You go to um, Alabama, you got to compete with Auburn. Pennsylvania is by itself. It's a good spot. Besides Georgia and LSU, there's really not other, that many programs that can kind of dominate the state like they do in terms of recruiting so it's a good spot to be in it's a big school um i think that if you're james franklin there's not many two or there's not too many jobs uh that could offer you much more than that with the exception of maybe the lsu job i think kenny pickett and the uh pit panthers might disagree with your statement okay. there, but uh mm, i don't know about that i don't think that they're if we look at recruiting and the type of commits that they get i don't think it's too much of a competition at right. least off the field in that regard win it on the field though yeah. just saying just saying but yeah i agree penn state it's it's a pretty solid job as far as you know in the big 10 it's ohio state michigan then that i think i think a lot of coaches would choose that potentially over a place like wisconsin even um so and pennsylvania produces like the philadelphia area produces a lot of good football players so yeah. you know if you can somehow lock down that state you can build a pretty strong team so 
All right, off of the uh, off of the Big Ten and the coaching carousel, soon to soon to get started here as the season winds down. Want to talk a little uh, SEC and some other top contenders um, up north. Nothing really groundbreaking news um, up in the top uh, reaches of the playoff rankings. Michigan, Ohio State, they both get wins and will likely hold right where they are in tomorrow's CFP rankings. Um, but some SEC pretenders have fallen off. Auburn and Texas A&M both lose, all but guaranteeing Alabama's second consecutive trip to Atlanta for the SEC Championship, where they will face Georgia. That's been decided um, as of a couple weeks ago. Georgia, the first team to clinch um, their trip to the conference championship. But, yeah, Georgia, chance to get healthy and get right before that conference title game. I think there's maybe still some sort of scenarios where it's not Bama, but it basically will be. I bet on Texas A&M this week. I thought with all of they ha- they had to play ahead of them, um, with basically you get past Ole Miss and hope that Auburn takes care of business. All of a sudden the Aggies are in Atlanta. They can't do that. But I want to give you the floor to talk about your Auburn Tigers here, since again you ghosted the group chat after after things started going south on the plains for for Auburn. A great start, a blinding start. Honestly, as an Auburn fan, you probably couldn't ask for much better than the lead they jumped out to against Mississippi State. Um, and again, keeping their slim hopes alive of potentially maybe beating Alabama, Texas A&M, losing, which they needed to do for Auburn to get to Atlanta, but they couldn't hold their end of the bargain up, ultimately losing to Mississippi State. So, Lath, what the hell, man? You you gave up, like, what, 40 unanswered or something like that? Yeah, 40 unanswered. Oh, man, it, it just brutal. You know, I, I didn't respond to the group message because I had to clear my head. <laughs> I had to go pace around. Um but, you know, it, it was the kind of the same problems that we've seen. It kind of seems like Auburn, at the beginning of the game, when everything's scripted, they have a plan, they're doing well. And then things fall apart once they kind of have to improvise and do something different. Um, you know, Derek Mason, I've talked about his defense. It's really another bend, don't break in zone. I talked about how the kind of pitfalls of that when you played a team like Penn State that does a lot of quick passing, going 28 or uh, quarterback going 28 for 32 in that game. Then you come in this game, I think Will Rogers went 33 for 35 in the second half, which you're playing an air raid team. You can't have – you can't give up that high percentage of passing. I mean, it, that's, it, it's just unacceptable. Uh, um, and then to top it all off, really insult to injury with Bo Nix breaking his ankle. Uh, I know not everybody's a fan of him, but we're going to see how much we miss him when we got uh, Jeremy Johnson 2.0 starting a quarterback in the coming weeks. But, you know, I want to get to this, too, just because it's kind of funny. It's always the same type of scenario. We lose. Everybody kind of rages, starts ranting about how bad we are, how we're done. And then a day later, you see the kind of optimism kind of perk back up again. I saw there's somebody said, uh, hey, there's a scenario. We still make the SEC championship. (laughs) (laughs) And granted, it involves Arkansas beating Bama, us beating Bama, and Mississippi State beating Ole Miss. But it's possible. It won't happen but it's possible. But, you know, it's just a really frustrating thing for me to see. And I've mentally I've started to kind of move to next year. <laughs> to next year. So that's where <laughs> so I'm So you're at. like Dan Mullen's Gators here, just giving oh, up yeah. on them already. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you talk about Alabama and, and, and what they've got left. So with Bo Nix, I'm assuming that ankle injury means he's not going to be healthy for the Iron Bowl in a couple of weeks. So as much as we would all like to see some more voodoo down on the plains and seeing Auburn beat – uh, Alabama and, and and 
basically force Alabama to have to win the conference championship, which I think they already have to do. I disagree with your point that they can go in with two losses, but um, but yeah, him him breaking his ankle, not being healthy for that game, he's he's just enough of that voodoo like lives in the way he plays kind of the johnny manzel run around and throw it up in the air um i don't really see them being able to beat alabama without him but real quick on arkansas though it's been a couple weeks since we've seen alabama against sec competition they didn't look good last time against lsu in a game that honestly they were fortunate to get away with a win against a not very good tigers team now arkansas with a coach that's got his team believing in them a team that's had some good results this season that has a style of play that has an identity they're gonna they're not gonna be afraid of Bama after what they've seen this year I know Bama's big favorites in this one but any potential for Alabama maybe looking ahead to that Iron Bowl trip and maybe letting Arkansas sneak by him here uh no I really don't think so I think I mean in most seasons it just takes one scare uh to to kind of right the ship in a Nick Saban team now they actually have a loss and a close game under their belt. I think that he's got them laser-focused from this point on. And we, we've kind of touched on the fact that Arkansas is still kind of a young team that's starting to kind of emerge as a contender uh, in SEC play. And they're coming off of a kind of a scrape-by win with LSU. So I think that this is a game where there's more hype than there probably should be and that Alabama takes care of business pretty quickly. I'll just say, you talk about – you know, wake up calls. They had that against Florida. What'd they do? Later lose to Texas A&M. So I don't think this is the Alabama team of years past where you can just count on them to get it right. They might, they may well get it right, but it's just not the sure thing that it has always been. Um, Real quick, before we jump to the NFL though, again, this college football playoff rankings coming out tomorrow night. Again, I think the top four, I'd be shocked if it isn't exactly the same. Georgia one, Alabama two, Oregon three, Ohio state four, all those teams won. Um, only real point of potential interest is just how far does Oklahoma drop. And again, in terms of the Big 12's chances to send a team to the playoff, where is Oklahoma State going to be? Because um, I think if they start too far back, there's just not going to be a chance for them to get in no matter what they do. So with that said, week 10 in the NFL, man, I got to quit betting, Lay. <laughs> I just, I got to stop. I can't. I can't call any of these games. These past two weeks in the NFL have just been unreal in terms of unpredictability. Starting on Thursday in a wild, like, wet game where it didn't rain. I don't think. I think it was just super humid if I was listening to the broadcast correctly. But just looking at the jerseys, it looked like everybody was gross and the field was getting torn up and everything. With the Dolphins somehow beating the Ravens. Then on Sunday, the Patriots destroying the Browns. The football team beating the Buccaneers in a rematch of last year's playoff matchup. And then the Panthers, albeit up against the Cardinals team without Kyler Murray and without DeAndre Hopkins, blowing out the number one seed in the NFC to this point in the season. Lath, which of these results is has got you like me and just being like, what the hell is going on? I think looking at this I would go with a uh, Washington football team over the Bucks. I know that the Buccaneers have kind of struggled with defense this season, not to the extent that you would expect a loss, but uh, this Washington team, it really didn't look like they had done too much or they had improved that much uh, coming off of last year. I think people expected some things, but we also kind of thought that was it was kind of a blip. You know, they're in a tough conference or a tough division. We didn't see them coming out of that, but I think that was the most impressive win. Um, I got to ask, did, did you bet on the Ravens in this game? Is that what you're alluding to? 
No, but it's funny. Uh, actually, one of my really good friends um, b- bets a lot, and another one actually is a bookie, and so he can see, you know, on the website everybody's bets that they place, you know. And so it was about halftime of the Raiders Dolphins game, and he sends a screenshot, the bookie friend, into our big group of a screenshot of one of our other friends' bets. Dude had laid a significant number on the Ravens to to win. Um, to not win a whole lot. Like, it was, like, risking on, like, one, you know, not much of a return, let's yeah. just say. Uh, four four being the betting, like, four to one in terms of what he would get back. So, um, not not very good. And so we were all watching the game kind of together, texting back and forth as it just got worse and worse <laughs> for the Ravens. Um, so that was not a fun night for him. But, no, I didn't have a good week either, though, because I had the Buccaneers. I had uh, the Browns. I had, a, you know, a few other things that didn't even get close. Um, but I want to talk about the Buccaneers here, here for a second. Quick aside, though, about the football team getting that win. I saw a really funny tweet of a uh, picture of Taylor Heineke and, and Tom Brady kind of doing, you know, the classic post-game dap-up, hug, whatever, talk, say something in their ear and you go past um, but somebody, I guess a football team fan, tweeted uh, with the caption, a passing of the torch to Taylor <laughs> Heineke. So uh, it was pretty cool. But Heineke, 26 of 32 for 250 and a touchdown. I mean, you can do a lot worse than that. Um, but the bigger thing, takeaway from this game, is the Buccaneers. So, Lath, going to read you a stat here. Is it time to worry about the Bucks Because they've lost two in a row. And yeah, they're sitting, you know, as a I think a three loss team at this point. Yeah, six and three, still in command of the NFC South. But that record really isn't as good as it looks. The teams that they have beaten so far in those six wins, I believe it's Cowboys, Falcons, Patriots, Dolphins, Eagles, Bears. Of those teams that they have beaten, those teams are thirty-two and twenty-four combined this season. So not uh, and again, you take out Dallas out of that, who by far has the strongest record. It's a lot worse than even that. Um, again, the only strong win is against Dallas in Week One. Now the Buccaneers have a really light schedule going in: Giants, Colts, Falcons. They do have the Bills remaining, but couple matchups against the Panthers as well as one against the Jets to end the season um, in the second to last week. But for much of the season, I know you've been just the biggest Bills rider here so far this year, and rightfully so. They've been solid. I've been a guy that's liked two teams, the Rams and the Bucks, but I'm starting to feel a bit less confident in what this Bucks team has got going for it. Yeah, I just, I mean, the NFL across all of the major leagues, whether it be football, baseball, basketball, it's got the most parity. And with that, it's going to be the hardest for any type of repeat team. And just in my time, in my opinion, if the Chiefs couldn't repeat with a championship last year, I don't think there's any way that the Buccaneers are going to go back-to-back this year. The defense is not as good as it was last year. Uh, Tom Brady has been less sharp in some instances, and I just don't think it's going to happen. So in my opinion, I think at this point, if you're a Bucs fan, you can start to get a little worried. I mean, ultimately, it's just about getting into the playoffs and see what's going to happen there. But, yeah. you know, that Saints loss, I was – happy to write that off as a one-off at the end of the day it's the national football league every team you play is going to be good you know the old adage any given sunday anything can happen you know that's one thing but to lose back to back to not have that response that you so often see in the nfl after a bad week and to go and lose to a team like washington i will say again i need to quit betting but a bet that looks pretty good to me now after two flops on the road from the bucks they get the giants at home next week 
I would really be surprised if the Buccaneers don't put it to them, but the Giants have looked better than people thought, at least in the last couple of weeks after a slow start to the season. Um, I still think the Rams are my favorite for, for the Super Bowl, especially coming out of the NFC. They play tonight on Monday Night Football against the 49ers, but again, Bucks. I think I need to see a little bit more. My confidence is, is slightly shaken um, in them at the moment. So, with that, we've already refreshed our soccer picks. Let's jump right into the top matchups of the week in college football in the NFL. And quickly, or maybe longly, if I want to make late suffer here a little bit, uh, re recap our picks from last week and how those went. Late, I think a combined one and five in terms of total college football and NFL last week. Again, we make three and three. I think you only won one. So in college last week, uh, looking at it, Michigan at Penn State. Lath liked Penn State. I got the correct pick with Michigan. Both wrong on Oklahoma losing against Baylor, and then both wrong uh, on AM losing at Ole Miss. Then in the NFL, I again getting a head-to-head win over Lay, picking the Vikings to beat the Chargers. Both of us getting a win with the Packers, um, and then – both of us taking an L with the Raiders at home getting wrecked by the Chiefs. So season totals in college, I'm still looking pretty strong. 16-11 and 11 on the year. Lath basically has no real chance to catch me. Well, we'll have a bowl season pick him, and that'll, and that'll That's where I fluff, the, uh, fluff the picks a little bit. But at this point, you're about five games back of me at 11-15. and 15. Then in the NFL, both of us are struggling, but I'm closer to making a cr- crawl back to 500 at 12 and 14 while you are 10 and 16. So with that said, tail lath at your own risk on these picks. So number one, number seven, Michigan State at number five, Ohio State, the biggest matchup of the weekend in college football. About to get a lot of good games between the best teams. Both the Big Ten and the Big 12 really backload their schedules. We're going to get Ohio State, Michigan State, Ohio State, Michigan, then Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, all those coming in the next couple of weeks. But starting with this one, Lath, battle of potentially uh, two top five teams, all said, said and done, depending on the playoff rankings. Who do you like in Columbus? This game will be close early on. I think there's too much offense on Ohio State's side, and they've been improving every week. Uh, I got Ohio State winning this on 38-24. Yeah, I also like the Buckeyes, but they are 18-point favorites, and we both have them not covering that spread. I've got them 37-24. So next up, number 25, Arkansas climbing back in. And, again, these rankings are all AP poll since we're having to make these picks off rankings, you know, before tomorrow night when the new playoff rankings come out. Number 25, Arkansas. At number 2, Alabama. Alabama, 22-point favorites at home. I think that number is pretty close to being accurate. I'd love for Arkansas to give them a real run, but I can't pick up against Bama in this game as much as I'd like to. But I think I'm going to keep Arkansas to stick inside that number and lose 45-30. to 30. Yeah, I think kind of what I said earlier, that Alabama comes out and kind of strong arms them. Bama gets this dub 45-17. And then next up, number three, Oregon at number 24, Utah. Utah favorites by three points at home. The first time Oregon has not been favorites since that UCLA matchup on the road. And you and I both liking the Utes here, um, going against you know a top four team. I deep down am really hoping Oregon wins this game, as I want to make sure Alabama cannot sneak into the playoff. You know, even if Georgia beats them in the conference championship, and I want, I just want as many teams that I don't think are that good in the playoff, <laughs> so that if Georgia plays them, it'll work out. I'm not a big believer in Oregon, thus I'm picking against them here. But I really, cr- fingers crossed, hope the Ducks win. 
Um, I may bet on Utah, so that way, either way, I'm feeling good. <laughs> but I think Utah wins a close one here at home, 30-28. to 28. Yeah, this is where I was hoping to kind of regain some points on you. I thought that you may go Oregon, but I just, I don't know, I got a feeling that Utah is going to win this one. Uh, I got them 34-31. So you've got them pushing that line. I've got technically Oregon covering with only a two-point win. Um, and then moving over to the NFL, where, again, not the uh, strongest season for either of us at this point, but I'm on the comeback trail. Vikings did well for me last week, getting me a win head-to-head against you. I'm sticking with them this week as they are at home against the Packers. Catching points. Got to love a home dog in the NFL. Three-point underdogs um, with the Packers coming to town. I like the Vikings to win, and relatively comfortably there, 32-20. to 20. You know, the Packers, after watching last night, they may, may be my new NFC favorite. I know that this was Russ's first game back, and he was a little rusty. But Aaron Rodgers also had a first game back in two games, and he didn't play great, but the Packers held out and got the shutout. So putting up 17 points and still winning, they could put up a lot more than that. I think the Packers win this one 28-24. Next up, Bengals coming off a bye week. Travel to the Raiders, who are feeling feeling a little bit stung after that tough loss at home against Kansas City. The Raiders are half-point underdogs at home, so basically pick them my confidence is not high in the Bengals. And again, I typically like a team to bounce back, especially at home after a loss, but something about this one scares me off the Raiders. I think I'm going Bengals 27, 25, but I'm not happy about it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I got a good look at the Raiders coach the other night and he kind of just looked lost. So for that reason, that's why I'm going uh, with the Bengals 24, 22. All right. And lastly, Definitely the game of the week to watch. I'm going to be Sunday afternoon. Cowboys at Chiefs. Chiefs two-point favorites at home. Perhaps a little surprising. Maybe Vegas is thinking the Chiefs offense is finally back on track. Again, I think something about this really likes the Cowboys. If it was in Dallas, I'd almost certainly be on the Cowboys, but hard to bet against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. I just don't think I can do that, especially going to be cold. Cowboys, how used to playing in that dome, they maybe are. I like Chiefs to win 36-32. Yeah, you know, last night Mahomes really kind of check, hitting his check downs, going for like the kind of shorter routes. I think he knows it's crunch times, and with this one being an arrowhead, I got the Chiefs 38-35. Both have a high-scoring one there, so if the over-unders interest you at all, potentially an over one to take there. But yeah, Lathier, you're not going to make up a whole lot of ground on me. I think in total across all college and NFL, we only differ on one pick, that being the Vikings in the pack. So uh, keep an eye on that one going into the week. Um, fantasy, not much to talk about. I'm getting my butt kicked in both my leagues. Uh, you hey, are. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, who's who's beating on you in the our end league? of uh, of you are the one providing that ass kicking in one of the leagues. Um, which hey, good for you, man. You got you got probably the best team in the league. So just go win it all, dog. I'm rooting for you. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'll t- I'll take that one. 